We want to welcome you today to Ground Table segment of the Yellow Soul podcast. And I'm here with my co-host, Britt Alvin. Hi. Hello, hello. And we are joined today by a brilliant, amazing, beautiful woman. Her name is Tiffany Coleman. Shout out to Jennifer Nickerson, Britt Alvin's best friend, who uh, who connected us with Tiffany and Tiff we're so excited that you're here with us I'm so honored to be here thank you guys so much for having me yeah we could we had some private time before hitting record and I think we could <laughs> we were just we were just rolling right at some yeah. point I was like we got a press record <laughs> so we are so thrilled to have you on with us and you do have an incredible story of God's faithfulness and resilience in your life and what a story you have. You are a mama to four beautiful young people. What's your grocery bill? Oh my goodness. It's (laughs) honestly behind my mortgage. It actually, it might rival my mortgage. It's, (laughs) it's, it's up there. (laughs) That's funny. I saw someone in the story the other day, a friend, and they said, man, you're here again. And I said, I literally, that's what I said. I said, it's a second mortgage. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Especially when my son is, he's almost 15, but he's six, six. So you can imagine the amount of food the child eats. I mean, he never stops. (laughs) Six, six. How tall is your husband? Six, seven. Okay. So he may have, Tristan may grow some more. I think so. Yeah. His doctors are saying he's got a few more inches in him. So we'll, we'll see where he ends up, but uh, he's not cheap to feed. <laughs> yeah. What's his shoe size? He is, I believe he's a 13 now. Yeah. So he's wow. getting up there. And yeah. does he play sports? Oh, absolutely. He's a basketball player. That's where I spend most of my, my life is in the basketball gym, watching him and You're you know, it's where he loves mom. to be. Do you wear the jersey? I have my shirts that I've had made, you know, his, our last name on it. I, I am that mom, but it's fun. I love watching him in his element. It's, it's clearly a, a God-given gift that he has. So he he loves it. Oh, that's beautiful. And what about your girls? They're in dance. Uh, so they do tap and ballet and jazz. Um, I think they've been in the gym so much that they're like, no, we're not. We're not going to, we're not going to play basketball, but they're, they're good cheerleaders. They support brother, but they love dance. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. We have some ground to cover with you today because we could not wait to have you on the podcast today to hear everything that you have navigated in your adult life um, Mm -hmm. with your late husband. And we were just sharing earlier just about desires God has restored and, and different places that he has walked you through and the grief. And yet in the midst of that, you have joy. And so you have learned to navigate life living in both of those spaces. Where would you like to start with your story today with us? You know, I guess we'll start April 5th, 2022. Um, The day that everything that I knew to be true um, would just honestly come crumbling down all around me. Um, It so happened to also be my daughter's eighth birthday. Mm -hmm. So um, my husband passed away in the early hours of her birthday while she was still sound asleep in bed. And that was one thing I remember talking to the doctor, um, you know, some events unfolded at the house, he died of a pulmonary embolism, which caused him to go into cardiac arrest, there was some build up to that in in our living room. And um, he had that, you know, I called the paramedics and they came very quickly got him out to the ambulance and it was there in our on the curb of our front yard that he would code in the back of the ambulance and so they worked on him for about two hours um and it wasn't until we got to the hospital that I learned that you know they couldn't save him that he he didn't make it but before I knew that the doctor would come out to me several times in the little small room they had me in and she'd give me an update ask me a few questions and I just remember pleading with her and telling her, you cannot let him die. Today is our daughter's birthday. It was like in the middle of, you know, life coming down, my baby was on my heart because I just knew, I mean, as a child, your birthday, I mean, for anybody, your birthday is just, it's a special day, but as a child, you look up, you look forward to it, you count down to it. And this child in particular really loves her birthday and loved her dad, um, more than words could ever express. He was such a sweet dad and had such a special bond with all of our kids, but they had something really special. And so um, as I just pleaded and pleaded with the doctor, please keep working on him, please, you know, try to save him. And she, I remember she looked at me and she said, he's younger than me. I'm not going to stop trying yet. And so she'd go back a couple more times until she finally came back out and said, we've done everything we can do 
Um, we've unplugged everything. If you want to come say goodbye. And, um, you know, it's in that moment, you're just in a tunnel. And I remember I didn't scream or cry, just, just kind of crawled up into a ball on the couch that was in that room. And I just kept saying, no, no, you know, this can't be. And um, my mom was in the room with me. And so we said our goodbyes. And honestly, we went in the room and worshiped. I remember playing worship music and just praying and um, the the paramedics that had come with us, the fire department, the fire men and women, they stayed and they made a U around his bed, which I remember walking in the room and just being puzzled why they were still there because we'd been there for a while, but they stayed the whole time. So they had made a U around his bed and they were just watching and I just dropped to my knees and I grabbed the side of his arm and I said out loud for the room and for myself to hear, but I said, God, you're good. You have good things for me. You want good things for me and my children. I believe that you're good. And, um, you know, that moment, just the weeping and the crying begins. And we sang over him and worshiped. I had my phone playing some worship music. And honestly, at that point, I was praying and believing for resurrection. I was like, God, you can do anything. You're the God of miracles. And I remember, you know, leaning down into Dwight's ear and just saying, get up in the name of Jesus, get up. And, um, you know, it's, it's those moments that you come face to face with that mustard seed like faith and I was like God I believe I know what you can do but when that's that miracle's not happening here on earth and so I had to say goodbye to the person I had built my life with who I'd grown up with and I remember getting in the car to go home I told my mom I said we got to go it's Kennedy's birthday she's going to wake up any moment now because my sister was there at the house watching you know just being there while the kids were asleep and uh, so we drove home And I woke her up singing happy birthday, just like we did every birthday morning. And I'd had the house decorated because before, you know, um, everything unfolded that night, we had decorated the house for her to wake up so we could have a birthday breakfast. Woke up and did our birthday routine with her and made the really hard choice to not tell her um, that he had passed that day. I just, I prayed about it and I felt the Lord say, give her, give her this day, you know, give her this day, celebrate her life. And then tomorrow you can tell her and walk her through the process of grieving her father's life. And so um, that would just obviously catapult us into just a season of immense grief and reflection of life. And where we were uh, five months later in September, my mom passed away. Um, So, you know, she was there with me that day. Dwight died and walked me through that, came home with me to wake up my daughter and sing to her. And uh, five months later, she lost a very long battle to cancer. And, you know, anybody that's walked with someone who's had a long disease, you begin to just think that they're just going to always have it. Like they always come out on the other side, you know, she'd kind of have an episode, have a rough patch, and then she'd be okay. And um, that wasn't the case this, this last time. And so even though she was sick, it was so shocking that she passed as well, because we just weren't planning, you know, we weren't expecting that it wasn't like we had had um, any indication that her, her battle was about to end. And so uh, once again, I found myself in the throes of, of grief and just deep sorrow and not only for myself, but for my children. And I remember just asking the Lord, like, what, what are we doing here? What are you trying to teach me? You've got to get me through this, God, because I can barely handle my own griefs. Just the most difficult, trying um, season of my life. And so that's where it started. Uh, Thankfully, it's not where it's ending, but that's definitely, you know, what positioned us to be in this season that we've been in. I want to say that I'm so sorry, human to human, for everything that you have walked through, Tiffany. Thank you. When I think about the loss and then loss again, and then mm-hmm. in that moment, just, I, I haven't even left the hospital room with you yet. Mm-hmm. And thinking about your resilience in that moment to be able to make the decision. You're looking at your husband, your beloved, while at the same time mothering and thinking about what am I going to tell my children? How do I navigate my daughter's birthday today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you making the decision and and God giving you your guidance of what you needed to do that day with your child and that you were able to so clearly know the steps that you needed to take. I'm in awe in this moment of you and your strength and the power that you dug so deep 
as a woman and as a daughter of God. And in both of those moments in life where tragedy came unannounced into your life and into the lives of your children, because it's one thing for it to be you, but when you have the responsibility of what information do I give to each of them? There's things that we say to our children collectively, but then age appropriate. You know, we were exchanging this information earlier that Tristan is about to be 15. And how old is the youngest? She is four now, but at the time she was two, two and a half. She was almost three. So she was, yeah, about a little over two. So two vastly different age groups. And um, I actually made the the decision to tell the older children that day because of my husband's reach in the community. I knew that it was going to get out and I did not want them to hear from anybody that wasn't close to the situation. And so again, um, just a extremely tender and heartbreaking conversation to have um, with my son, Tristan, you know, he was there that morning. And so I didn't make him go to school and had his, took his phone away. And, you know, he was, he knew something was going on. Of course, I don't think he expected it to be something of that degree. Um, and, and walking with him through that and giving him a level of responsibility that I, as a mother even felt was unfair. And I told him that I said, I'm going to tell you something and ask something of you that is so unfair. Um, and so I shared the news with him and I said, we cannot let the girls know the little, the little girls, they can't know today. And um, I said, you know, if you need to pull me aside, if we need to come in here and cry and scream, whatever we need to do, let's do it in private today so that they don't think something is wrong. And then tomorrow I'm going to tell them. And um, he's amazed me through this whole process. And I, you know, I've been really uh, conscious to not put anything on him that is unhealthy or unfair. And I told him, you know, I said, you're not the man of this house. Cause a lot of people would tell him that, you know, you're the man of the house now. And I said, you're not the man of this house. Number one, you're 13. And that would not be good for any of us, but um, you get to grieve as a son, you get to grieve your father, you get to grieve your family, you know, forever being changed. You, it is not your responsibility to hold me as your mother, to hold my emotional weight, you get to be a child, you get to walk in this grief. And I, you know, got each of my children in with an amazing grief counselor in our area who just, I mean, she was a complete godsend. And it was by total happen chance that I found her. Uh, So she walked with them in those early days. I had my own therapist. That's what my background is in my master's degrees in counseling. And so that was really important for me that we all got biblical Christian counseling that was going to help assist us through this. And so while I shared that information with him that first day, I I made sure from the start, he knew this is not yours to carry. You're the child. I'm the parent. You get to lean on me. I'm not going to lean on you. And, um, and you know what? I feel like I have seen him and all of the kids thrive because of that. And it, it does make such a difference. And, um, you know, I told him, you're not gonna have to do anything now that I didn't expect you to do when dad was alive, you know, you're going to still have the chores, the, the responsibilities of school. And, but those were things that you had from the beginning. And so there's nothing um, extra that I've put on him because his dad died. There's been natural progression of more responsibility, but that's because now you're about to be 15 and you were 13 then, but that would have happened with dad here or not. And so that was really important for me that he understood that and um, that he just had his space and his time to get to grief. But yeah, walking through that with each of my children has been so different because then now you have the, I call her the baby because she's, she's my baby. She's four, but she's the baby. And um, you know, she, she remembers her, her daddy. And I, that was something I prayed very early on. I said, Lord, give her memories of him that I know are not memories I've told her, you know, cause you see pictures, you see videos and you can start to think that you remember something, but it's just because you were told about it or you saw a picture or video. And I said, God, just give her something that I know I did not tell her. And so one day she had told me, daddy called, she still talks about him in present tense. Daddy calls me chicken. And he, it was so funny. It was a little nickname he gave the girls because they love to eat chicken nuggets. So he would be like, come here chicken. And, um, I had totally forgotten about it. I know I didn't tell her that. And I was like, wow, I think he did call you chicken. And so she'll just say little things like that. And it will, 
it never ceases to amaze me. And I'm like, thank you, God. Like, it'll be something that I do remember, but I know for a fact, I did not tell her. And even the big girls the other day, they're like, he did. He used to call us that. I was like, y'all don't remember. And they're so no one told her this. Like she just remembers. And so it's her little brain is still processing. Um, my two middle ones, you know, the other night at bedtime, we were praying and my nine-year-old said, can we pray that daddy can come back? And so we're just walking with them through, um, you know, why that's not possible, but the hope and the anticipation of heaven, but all their little brains are cognitively so different and helping them to process through their individual grief. My six-year-old brought a picture home the other day from school and it was like, draw your family. And she drew me and her siblings. And I just, I remember I was like, oh, that's so good. You did so good. And I walked into my room and I just started crying because she didn't draw her dad. And it was like, on one hand, it broke my heart. But then on the therapeutic hand, I was like, but she's processing and she understands that he isn't a part of the physical sense of our family. And so you just see it reflect so differently with each child. But the clinical side of me, it's fascinating to see the ways that they are processing and translating their grief into their individual spaces. So beautiful, Tiffany. Amazing, amazing. Kids, they know. Mm -hmm. They know the resiliency in their own little minds of how they're able to sense, make, and process and step into that space. And the day that you locked eyes with Tristan and said, I'm going to tell you something is as difficult and painful as that was and the gravity of that that you were feeling in your own soul in that moment and yet you dug so deep to be able to say this is what's happened and this is what we need to do today tomorrow it might look different but but this is what we need to do today so that we can help the environment around us and the other younger children to be able to to function and it looks different for every single person but what is the same is that kids know when something has happened yeah so to withhold information from them that is essential again i can't stress enough age appropriate information right but right. what you did that day with tristan is you are teaching him and you're teaching your children this is how we can navigate hard things. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we will not invite them into that space because we think we're yeah. protecting them. Yeah. yeah. Right. And really what we're doing is conveying to them, I don't believe that you're strong enough to handle this. And so to be able to stand in front of Tristan and, and eventually sit in the space with your other children and give them the information that, that they need is to be able to invite them into a process that says, this is a house of truth, a house of love. This is your haven. This is your safe place. Mm -hmm. And this is where we can process everything together and therapy Thank God for the village that he brings around us. Amen. Your therapist and the therapist for your children. I That resonates with me. But to have that village around us and to be able to lean into those people that are assigned to our story. And some people come and go. You know, there's people that yeah. fill in the gaps, right, along the way. But to be able to say, we are going to do this as a family and we're going to process this as a family. But then to have the professional help and, and those people around us to, to step in and stand hand in hand with us is, is so essential. Absolutely. So essential. And I had a question for you, Tiffany, just because you mentioned um, having a moment after hearing the news, there's nothing else we can do where you decided to take a stand and you said something rose up in you that mm -hmm. this was not going to be the end of yours and your family's story. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought as you were sharing about the strength of the Lord and how it seems as though the strength of the Lord kicked in, right? Mm -hmm. And you were able to move forward, even though there were so many questions and you were navigating not only grief for yourself, but grief for your kids. I'm wondering how you were able to have strength to strength, right? Yeah. Through this season. Yeah. And what that looked like as you tried to be strong for your kids and navigate 
their strength and, and encourage their strength. I know that from talking to you that you want to empower others to take a stand in their grief as mm-hmm. well. And so I would love to hear just what the Lord did through through that experience and, and how he gave you strength upon strength. Sure. I mean, it was honestly like a supernatural thing in the hospital room. I mean, first of all, from a clinical standpoint, just like my own research and the readings I did, your brain goes into shock. And those first two months, you're, you're in a state of shock and it's your brain's protective mechanism so that you can function within the tragedy that you're, you're facing. And, um, but something came over me supernaturally. I was even thinking about that the other day, like, how did I not just go into hysterics at the hospital? I just, something, the Lord within me was like, I remained calm. I went into the room, worshiped, prayed. Um, and it was really the drive home. I think when I left him at the hospital, um, I'll never forget, they came in and they said, okay, we we need to take him. And he was 37. And so they, they did do an autopsy on him. And so the medical examiner had come to get him. And I told them, I said, I don't want to see y'all take him. Let me leave first. And so I did. Me and my mom got in the car and I, I was driving because my mom, um, being her cancer, she had some bone issues. And so I was driving us home and I distinctly remember like the part of the road that I was on. And I remember thinking, this isn't it. This is not over. I'm not going to let this be the end of it. I mean, I, I didn't say it out loud, but I remember thinking it, man, this isn't it. I'm going to fight with everything in me. And, you know, we all have things that happen to us. I mean, I feel like there's been many times in my life that I've had to make that choice. My biological father passed away when I was five. Um, I had an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy with my almost 15-year-old son in college. And so, you know, those were moments back then that I even had to say, okay, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this baby. I'm going to finish my degrees. Like there have been several times in life that I had to make that decision. This was clearly a much different um scenario, but I just, there was something in me that knew not only for myself, but for my children. Cause I remember thinking this can't be it for them. This cannot be it for their childhood, for me. And I knew Dwight would not have wanted that. And so, um, I just made it a mission of mine to figure out what that looked like. And, you know, over the course of the last 17 months, that's been digging through scripture and seeing what the Lord says about grief and it being for seasons, it's not supposed to be something that um, is a life sentence that takes over your entire life. There is a biblical a way, a progression of grief. And I wanted to honor that. I didn't want to um, negate the fact that I lost the most hands down important person in my life and losing my husband. I wanted to honor his life. And I wanted to make sure that I honored my grief for him, but also give myself permission to say, okay, I'm going to walk through this, but I'm not going to succumb to it. This is a part of the story. This is not the whole book. And um, it's been such a gradual process. And there have been many ups and downs along the way. But yeah, very early on, I just I just remember feeling that inside of me. And I know it was the Holy Spirit just giving me that push, that comfort, that peace. I, I look back on those first two weeks when, you know, people are reaching out and you've got the funeral and the viewing, all the things. I mean, I think within probably three hours of being home, I had a call from the organ donation people. Do you want to donate? Or I mean, just, and I remember thinking, I'm still in absolute shock that the man's not here. And I, I remember telling them, y'all have to call me back. I, I can't even make that decision right now. And so, um, you know, you're just bombarded with so many different things. And I, where I'm at now in my grief journey, I'm like, I don't know if right now I could do that again. I mean, it just truly was an act of God because, you know, like I said, my daughter's birthday was that day. So my house was filled with gifts and food and flowers. I mean, once the word got out, I cannot even express the generosity and love that was just poured over us. I mean, it was something like I've never seen in my life. I mean, extravagant things that I'll always remember. And I, I even, you know, I journaled those things. I was like, I don't want to forget. I do not want to forget any of this stuff. But, um, you know, my daughter was eight 
So I remember she was like, she asked, you know, where's dad? I didn't want to lie to her, but I also didn't want to tell her the whole truth. And so I just said, well, he got sick last night and he's in the hospital. And she was upset because he'd actually taken off work that day. He's a college basketball coach. He took off work and he was going to go to the school with her and be a watchdog. And that's like a program they have where the dads can come and spend the whole day and they go to classes and help at lunch and recess. And he had done it once before. And the school loved him. They had his picture framed in the office. He was just the most charismatic, sweetest man. So she was looking forward to that. And I remember she started crying because she's like, he's not going to get to be a watchdog. I don't want to go to school because I was going to send her and my uh, daughter under her to school. Because I was like, if I can just get them out the door, I can, you know, cry. I can kind of start to facilitate some things. But she said, well, I, if he's not going to be there, I don't want to go. And and I just felt the Lord say, don't send her, just keep her home. And so I said, okay, well, yeah, you don't, ha- you don't have to go then. And I was fixing her hair. She was saying all that. And I remember thinking, if you're, a, if you're this upset that he's not going to be at school with you today because of watchdog, I, ju- I just remember thinking, you have no idea what's coming tomorrow. And it was such a weighty thing to carry. Um, I was holding news and information that I knew was going to change the trajectory of this child's life as she knew it. And as a mom, it was, it was horrible. I mean, it was just, there was this pit in my stomach all day long, but she was like, well, I want to go to Target and I want to go to the park and I want to order pizza and like all the things you want to do on your birthday, right? You're eight. And so I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, we're going to do that. And, you know, sweet family friends sent pizza. They're like, we'll get the pizza to you. And then my parents came over. And so we all went to the park and we actually went back to that park last weekend to take some pictures. And my son said, you remember, you remember the last time we were here? And I said, I do. And we talked about it. The girls didn't connect the dots and I didn't, you know, bring it up to them, but he and I talked through it. He said, I remember walking in that field with you and talking about things. And so just getting through that day though, and having to muster up the energy, I mean, grief, sucks the life out of you. I remember feeling, and I look back on those pictures and I'm like, I look like I was hit by a bus because I was emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And, um, but the Lord sustained me through that day. He was so gracious and kind to do that. But just that day alone, having to continue on with life, like nothing was wrong when everything, everything in my world was wrong. You know, it was, it was the most difficult day. Um, I always say, of course, the day he died was horrible. The day we buried him and the and that day of her birthday, just having to act like it wasn't existing were just, those were the absolute two hardest moments in time in that process. What would you say has been the most difficult aspect of this journey with your children? Hmm. You know, finding normalcy for them making sure that I am walking with them in a way that allows healing and growth and redemption for them. Also giving them stability and accountability. I mean, they're still children. They still have to be corrected and disciplined and, and parented. And I remember at the very beginning, people, again, were so sweet and so generous. And so they wanted for nothing. And I had to start telling people like, thank you so much for this. I'm going to hold on to it for a little bit before I give it to them. Um, Because it just became, I I didn't want to mask the pain and the tragedy with things. And I didn't want them to be overwhelmed with materialism and, and, and distracted by that. And so navigating that, I remember telling their therapist, I said, disciplining children who are grieving is the hardest thing. I said, because I never know what is grief and what is them just being a normal kid? And sometimes it's a little, little bit of both. And uh, I, I sat with them, you know, days after he had passed. And I just told them, you know, guys, how we grieve is going to determine how we heal. And we've got some choices to make here. We can feel all the things. I'm, you know, everyone has the permission to have their time of, of grief, mourning, sadness, anger. I said, but I'm also giving you permission to laugh and to have joy and to know that there is still going to be accountability and responsibility. We still, we need to get up. We need to get dressed and brushed our hair and mommy still got to drive the spot, the speed limit. You know, I, I can't explaining to them that though we're going through something really hard. Unfortunately, one of the hardest things about grief is the world around you keeps going. You know, I remember driving in my car down the highway and being like, none of these people know they have no idea 
what I'm going through. They have no idea my whole life's changed, you know, and, and none of us do. We don't know what the person next to us is going through. And so we still have to function in society um, in a way that is, you know, appropriate. My kids eventually had to go back to school. There were still things that had to get done. I still had to pay my bills. I couldn't say, well, sorry, water, you know, company. I didn't, my husband died. So I just didn't feel like paying my bill and explaining that to them and helping them see that mommy is going to hold you accountable still as well. I love you, but we're going to be kind to each other. We're going to be respectful. We're not going to have outbursts that hurt each other. We're not going to say things that um, negatively affect one another. And so that's been something, you know, through this process, it's exhausting. Uh, Dwight was an amazing dad. He worked crazy hours just as a coach. He traveled a lot, but when he was home, the pressure that man alleviated off of me, I just, I can't even articulate. He would come home and cook and clean and do dishes and midnight feedings. I mean, he was so hands-on. And so losing that, losing my helpmate has been really difficult just on a exhaustion level. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty high energy go-getter kind of a, a person to begin with, but I have found myself, especially here lately, where that's where my grief is kind of turned to, it's like just the physical demands, the reality of that person being gone in the beginning, it's the emotional toll it takes on you, the sadness, the shock, the disbelief, and now the logistics of it. Like logistically, I have a 15 year old son who needs to be at school at 6am for practice, but I have three little girls that don't have to be at school till 730. And what does that look like? Well, now I've got to wake them up at five and I've got to get them in the, you know, just those things that if I had a husband, it's like, hey, you take him or stay here with the girls and I'll take him. And figuring out what all of that look like looks like life is so very different for us. And we've acclimated and we have our new normal, but there's still times where it'll hit me out of nowhere. And I'm like, this yeah. really is just me. It's really just me um, figuring out, of course, the Lord's guidance, but on a day-to-day basis, how to get everybody where they need to go, how to meet everybody's needs. And that's extremely exhausting at times. Superwoman, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Like <laughs> God's grace, God's grace. Have you surprised yourself many times? Yeah, I, you know, and I, I'm maybe it's a therapist in me, but I love a good self-talk, and I'll, I'll tell myself, I'm proud, I'm proud of you. Like I, and I'll tell the kids, we yes. can do hard things. And there's been a couple of times I've told myself that I can do this, I can do hard things. But I've told myself, I'm proud of me, and I know Dwight would be so proud. Um, I, I know he, he wouldn't be shocked because he was just the most encouraging husband. And he would just tell me um, one of his last Instagram posts, it was of the new year. And he posted a picture of me and he just said, you know, this has been such a great year. I've accomplished so much, but none of it would have been possible without, without her. And so he really saw the value and what I brought to our family. And he articulated that to me. I mean, on a regular basis, just thanking me for, you know, allowing him to be able to go and do what he did. And so, um, I know he would be really proud of me. And honestly, that's a huge motivating factor for me because I truly respected him, you know, to such a high degree. And I want to make sure that even in his passing, that I'm honoring him and honoring the family that um, he will forever be the foundation of. So yeah, I've, I've surprised myself because there's times where I'm like, wow, if you would have told me two years ago, this would be life. I would have been like, absolutely not. I mean, I'm a pretty independent person, but I would have been like, there's no way, there's no way I could do that. And so to see that not only have I done it, but I'm continuing to do it. It definitely is a testament to the resiliency of the human spirit, but also the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's really where it derives from. Yeah. Your choices. I mean, from the moment that you knew it was happening, you made choices all along the way that have allowed you to keep putting one foot in front of the other and to function. And the word that comes to me, it's like you just kept looking at life and saying, this is non-negotiable. Giving up isn't even an option. Right. I will, no. I will continue on. And in Dwight, that, that man had a fighting spirit and how he fought for yeah. his wife for his children and for others, the hearts of others, because as a coach, that's how you're wired and to be able to coach young people and to transfer them on and to challenge them. And I have no doubt that before he even did that with others, that's how he functioned and interacted with Mm -hmm. his family. Tiffany, what are some rhythms in your life that you would say have kept you going day to day Mm -hmm. because your choice to keep your mind strong, if you can share with us how you have done that, continue to make those shifts 
day to day or there's, and maybe that's, maybe that's changed over the last, the last six months, things that you did in the beginning. What would some of those things be? I'm, I'm definitely a routine structure kind of a person. Um, super type A. I love my routine. I love, I love to know what my day holds. And I was like that before Dwight passed away. It was funny because we were so opposite. He was such a free spirit, go with the flow and be like, okay, but what's our plan? (laughs) Like, what are we going (laughs) to, how are we going to do this? And he's like, I love it. Just let's just feel the moment. And I was like, that, that doesn't bring me peace. So, <laughs> that doesn't work for me. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. He probably all. is still in your head now, right? He's like, he and <laughs> yes, I, I can hear him be like, it's okay. But <laughs> no, you know, I, um, again, right pretty soon after we had laid him to rest, I mean, that following week, I started, well, I'd actually been taking walks even again when he was alive, but it was a daily thing for me. I would get up every morning go on a walk before the kids would get up. And it was my prayer walk. And so it was just my time to cry, pray, process, talk to the Lord. And then I, you know, walk my mile or so around my neighborhood, come back, do my journal, um, read the word. I've, you know, had some devotionals that I absolutely loved. There was one in particular that really just carried me through those first few days. And it's called Experiencing Grief by H. Norman Wright. And it was just, yeah, it was a a turning point for my grief for sure. But even still now, you know, I'm very structured with my day. And so it it helps me, it helps my kids, but we have our routine and I gave myself permission, especially just as a single parent to say, okay, I'm clocking out for the day. And so nighttime, I take very seriously our nighttime routine. And my family would give me a, you know, jokingly a hard time because they'd be over to visit. I'd be like, all right, guys, well, it was great seeing y'all, but we're turning in for the night. I got to get the kids down. I'd start like dimming the lights, vacuuming. And um, I love to go to sleep. <laughs> You're like, okay, do you want us to leave? I'm like, That's well, amazing. yeah, we're done here. I'm um, taking notes. <laughs> so I just, but I had to give myself permission to, to, to say, I need to pour into myself. And I'll even tell my kids that I'll say, okay, guys, the kitchen's closed. Like, I know you've been fed You're bathed you're, you're good. And it's time, you know, it's time for you to go to bed. And I'll tell them this is mommy's time now. Even my son, who I don't obviously have to do those tedious things for, I'll say, okay, son, like, it's time to to go to our spaces, I need to be able to not hear movement to not be, be asked a question. And so I really hold the evening space. Um, it's a sacred time for me. I mean, it truly is a time to just rest and rejuvenate and not even just to sleep. If I just want to watch a show in peace, or I want to read, or maybe I want to catch up with a friend, they know, I mean, on the weekends and the summertime, of course, it wasn't quite as early as it is during the school year, but nighttime routine, we do our prayers, we sing. It's a nighttime was a very difficult time for the little ones, especially in the beginning, because he was such a part of bedtime and and two it's like the stillness of the day you go 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 all day long and so you can easily be distracted but nighttime comes and that's when the emotions would come out and I remember finding myself very frustrated um in the early days because I was like this is like the last thing I want to do right now and it sounds so you know it sounds kind of cold to say but it was like I just I didn't even feel like I had the capacity some nights to tend to them in the way I knew they needed because I was like, I've been doing nothing but pouring out all day. And so I had to really invite the Lord into that space. And he guided me into like how I could make evening time a more pleasant time for all of us. And it really started with around like 6 p.m., you know, structuring the day to lean towards what was going to be coming in the upcoming hour. So that's been really beneficial for them. And then also just giving us all space and permission to have our, I call them, you know, our grief waves They're And they never hit at the same time, which is good, but also can be very difficult because I remember I would be having a great day, even still, I'll be having a, a great day, a great moment. And then one of the kids will say something that is just so sad or just totally like knocks the wind out of all of us. And I'm like, man, like that's not the vibe we were going for right now. Being able to give everyone permission to have that space. And, you know, for me, of course, I, I let them into to my grief. I've, my children have seen me cry. They've seen me process. They've seen me reflect, but it's very curated. I do it in such a way that allows them to see healthy grief, but I don't take them into those spaces with me where it's raw and vulnerable and and just an intimate time of of sorrow um that the lord and i share together it's been uh 
it's truly been a, a, a testament of just this season and the Lord has been kind of walk me through it, but I was, it's been difficult and I've had to really keep my heart in check and make sure that it doesn't throw me backwards because in grief, you can have those setbacks sometimes just caused by ordinary stresses, things that, you know, it's not, nothing crazy happened, but it can set you into a cycle of a grief wave that you wouldn't necessarily have gone in, you know, had everything, you know, been okay. So we're, we're moving through each day, but routine and structure has been really key for us. Um, in this season. Yeah. The permission is power mm-hmm. and communicating boundaries to our children and, yeah. and not just tossing everything out the window because this is what's happening in our lives, but being able to continue to keep at least a framework in place of what you want that to look like long-term holding on to something, right? Even if it's just a remnant of that in those moments that are really, really difficult and tending to our own soul, if it's our children or our spouse, our significant Mm -hmm. other, our close friends, them witnessing us tending to our soul and taking care of ourselves, that self-care, like you said earlier, the stillness, just the stillness of everything, everything slows, it's quiet. And then things come unannounced, right? In our process and our hearts and what we feel in our physical Mm -hmm. bodies and the day slows and we get, we get really still. But during those moments too, that is where the tremendous healing takes place. To circle back to something that you said was so powerful, how we grieve, that's going to dictate how we heal. And I love that leaning Mm -hmm. into pain of the process and then being able to, to invite the healing as it comes. That's, you said grief waves. Is that how you Mm -hmm. describe it with your, your children? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and with the, with the grieving, you know, my therapist used to say, there's no right and wrong way to grieve, but there is a healthy and an unhealthy way. And, you know, in this day and age, we have a lot of fill your truth and do whatever makes you feel good. And, and, you know, of course, what works for one person may not work for somebody else, but there are some universal things that are appropriate and acceptable and healthy and that are not. And so if my way of handling my grief is to get drunk every night, that's not going to be a a good solution. Now, if I like to journal and somebody else likes to um, write songs, okay, those are two different things, but both are healthy ways. They're both healthy coping mechanisms. And so helping my children and myself figure out what does that look like? It's, It's normal and healthy to be angry, you know, in different stages of grief, but it's not healthy um, to go and harm somebody or to, you know, go out and cause disruption in, in the household. And so figuring out where grief has its place and it does, grief does have parameters. And I, I believe when people don't acknowledge that, that's where we can see it become destructive. That's where we can see it become strong, a stronghold in our life. And you do have to make sure that you're walking through it. You're not setting up camp there. And that was really important to me. Like we're going to walk through this valley, but I'm not getting a pillow and a blanket and like laying down here forever. It's a season. And so we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're not staying in it and helping my kids to see that you're having a really hard day today. And I, you can come and sit on mommy's lap. We can cry. We can journal. We can look at pictures of daddy. Um, And eventually I'm like, okay, now, do you want to go do something fun? What's something, you know, that you, that you want to do? And maybe it's blow bubbles. Maybe it's watch a show. Maybe it's make something or just get up and go play on their own. But empowering them to recognize when to sit in their grief and how long to sit in it. Because even me, like this morning, my countertops were getting installed and it was exciting. But as they were carrying it in, I just had this like heaviness come over me. And Dwight loved to cook. He was always in our kitchen. And so tears started to fill my eyes. I'm like, these workers are going to think I am crazy. So I got up and I went to my bathroom and I just started crying and I let myself, you know, I was like, this, it's, it's, it's bittersweet. Like I'm, I'm doing something that we always wanted to do, but he's not here. And now I'm changing a space that he was always in. And so it's just another signifying event that, you know, has come since his loss. And, but then 
you know, after a few minutes, I get my tissue, wipe my face. I'm like, okay, take my deep breath and go back out there. If I was still in my bathroom, you know, three hours later, be like, uh, okay, well, you know, knowing when to step in and step out of that grief, I think is so important. And it really is something you have to learn and something that only you can control. I mean, it, it does come down to self-control and the decision that, okay, I'm having a hard moment. And in the beginning it was days and there'd be weeks that'd be hard. So I'm not saying, you know, you've lost someone and give yourself one hour. No, I'm 17 months in. So now thankfully I am so grateful that it's not hard days normally anymore. It's usually hard moments. And, um, but in the beginning it would, it'd be a hard day acknowledging that honoring that, but also making the conscious decision that, okay, I'm going to step up out of this. I'll be back maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. But for now, I'm going to step up out of this grief Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go get the kids in the bath or cook dinner or go on a walk, whatever that looks like. Um, But yeah, it's, there's so many choices in this process and we don't get a pass. You know, you don't get a pass in society. If you can go back to work, you don't get a pass. So you do have to learn uh, healthy ways to walk with and cope through your grief. Um, and it is unfair. I, I just, it's not fair. Like I remember wanting everyone to know in the beginning, I would tell the most random people and they probably were like, well, thank you lady. I'm checking out at the store for that heavy store. But it was like, I wanted everyone to know, you know, you're scanning my bread and juice, but like my husband died last week or, you know, whatever. Like it was like, I just needed people to know the heaviness and, um, mm-hmm. Because life was going on as I knew it, except yeah. for in the inside of my home. And it was really, it was really hard at times. I love how you said learning how to step into grief and then mm-hmm. stepping out of grief. I think that's such an amazing way because grief, grief is hard. It's hard for our physical body. It's hard for our souls. Yeah. And it's easy to get stuck in that, that pattern of grief and sorrow where you just don't see a way out. You don't see a way forward. You know, the answers are still not in front of you. And so taking that intentional step out, um, I, for me, the sudden loss of my dad two years ago, um, he had open heart surgery and I wasn't there. We had a lot going on during that time. And I just, in my head thought he's going to make it through. There's, it's no problem. He's not going to go like this. And I remember after getting the call that he passed away, um, the level of sadness and grief mm-hmm. and the guilt that I should have seen this coming and that I should have yeah. been here um, was almost too much for me to bear in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. But with that, like you said, there was a time that I needed to sit in that grief. Mm-hmm. And then there was a time where I take the amount of love that I had for my dad and go love people with that love. And so as I was praying over the call with Juliet, um, before we jumped on, wanted to ask you this one question, because I think it's been true for me. And I, I think it's been true for you too. Sometimes grief causes us to pull away, to harden our hearts. And then sometimes it opens our hearts to love people in a deeper way, maybe a truer way. And so I just wanted to ask you if there, if this grief has allowed you to take the love that you had for your husband and love your kids deeper, love your family, love your friends and love people maybe you don't even know in a, in a deeper, more truer way. Yeah. Such a good question. Absolutely. Um, Losing Dwight is the, I mean, and my mother subsequently after, but you know, I mean, as husband, wife, you're one with that person. So that was a level of loss that I just, nothing on this earth could have prepared me for. And the love that he and I shared was so strong and so evident. And so it was like, when he was gone, I just was like, what do I do with this? Like, what do I do with all this love that I no longer have to physically give to him? But yes, um, our children, I mean, of course, I've always loved them, but I feel like my patience for them, the like my even appreciation, the things that would typically and some days still do um, get under my skin or frustrate me. It's like I can stop like the other day Tristan, he was doing something that it was really annoying. And I remember thinking, 
but if something happened to him, you would give anything for that exact moment. And so it really did like stop that. Just honestly, it was just like a, a fleshly annoyance. Like he, it was just, you know, he was just being a 15 year old boy. It wasn't anything catastrophic. It was just, I was annoyed by what he was doing and it, it reframed it and not to say that, okay, so now you can go do whatever you want, but I think it puts things, it puts life in the proper lens that it is so fragile. I mean, Dwight and I, that last, so he, it was a Tuesday morning. He passed like early one forty one AM. So that Monday, I mean, it was just a normal day. Like I had no idea that he was going to die that night. Like there was just, there was nothing in me that knew. I think that when you realize, when you lose someone, the way I lost him, you realize how fragile life is. And so it is not worth it to me now to have unresolved issues. It's not worth it to me to let the small stuff just totally destroy me. I mean, this whole repair that's going on in my house two years ago probably would have sent me spiraling because it would have just been so stressful. And it's just, oh my, you know, we call them first world problems. And, and I still joke about those, but now those are put into perspective. And I, I often jokingly, I'll be like, is everybody alive? Okay, we're good. And it just, it allows you to really step back and see what's important. People are important. Someone's salvation, someone's life, everyone is walking through things. And so, yes, absolutely. Losing him really allowed me to see people, see people for who they are and to love them in a more Christ-like manner, because we can be so, you know, short with people. We can be so unforgiving at times. And it doesn't mean that you don't have your boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't have your expectations because trust me, in this process, I've had to develop some really strong boundaries because grief can bring out not fun sides in people and in situations. So I'm not saying use it as an excuse to just let, you know, everything go amok, but also really reflect on what matters. And the things I think that we often get so upset about in the grand scheme of life don't matter. My husband leaving his shoes out, or, you know, or not putting his dish in the dishwasher may have been annoying, but I would give anything to see that pair of shoes or that dirty dish. And if we'll really just check our hearts and, and, realize the gift that life and love and family is. I think that it can open, you know, everyone's eyes, but it definitely has made me see what matters. And, you know, at the heart of it, it's family, it's love, it's friendship. I I value the people in my life on a level that I just didn't before because I'd never, I never had anyone extremely close to me taken from me. I mean, it just, I hadn't experienced that. And so once you do it, it definitely reframes, reframes love. I agree. Sometimes, you know, my son was going, I forgot what it was. Maybe it was a game or something that he was playing in and it was pretty early on in the grief. And I could tell as his mother that his expressions weren't about, you know, not scoring the point. If you didn't know him, you would have been like, that kid has an attitude and he's being a brat. I knew that kid is grieving the loss of his father, who was also his coach. And he's processing through, cause he said early on, mom, I just, I need dad. Like he would tell me what to do coaching wise. I would do it and it would work and he's not here anymore. So I don't know what to do. So I could see the level of frustration and grief that he was experiencing. And I knew where that was coming from. So I use that as an example to him. He had gotten frustrated with somebody. And I was like, Tristan, there's so many times where people could see us out and they have no idea. They have no idea that like dad was here and now he's gone. They just see this mom and these kids and, you know, can make their assumptions. So it definitely, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm perfect because I still get frustrated people on the road driving crazy, (laughs) but it's like, I'll still, I'll, you know, I'll say something or have a thought. And then it's like, I'll get checked really quickly. Like "Hmm, this could be the worst day of their life. Like if I would have cut somebody off on the way home from the hospital when Dwight died and, you know, they got mad at me, like little would they have known that I'm leaving the hospital after being told that my husband is gone. And so yeah, having grace for people and understanding we're all walking through things and we have no idea what the person next to us is carrying. So we need that grace for sure. Yeah. Being sensitive to those that are around us. It definitely, Mm -hmm. as you said earlier, it, it shifts the lens from how we see humanity. And then when we have that show up in our own lives it definitely changes how we engage with others and so you have this wonderful amazing mesmerizing awesome partner and you find Mm -hmm. yourself 
nearly 17 months in. What does that look like for you now? Is This is a sensitive question, but is there a desire in your heart? Has God restored that for you to want a mate again? Yeah. Um, you know, what Dwight and I shared was so special and I'm forever grateful. I mean, we literally grew up together, had 10 amazing years together, shared a family together and losing him. You know, I lost a part of, of myself. I mean, we're to become one. And so as I've grieved him and processed through that, that was another thing I wrestled with early on. You know, I, I knew pretty soon I was like, God, I, I want that again. You know, I'm, I'm young. My kids are young. I want I want to experience the love I had with him. And it's not going to be the same love. I, I don't want to duplicate Dwight. No one can or will, but there is a desire. And, and that was, that was something I had to really process through with my therapist because I felt, I felt bad for even desiring that. And when I say desiring, there was no plan. There was no, I mean, nothing has happened thus far, but for that, just to even be something that I was thinking down the road, I might want again. And so I'll, I'll never forget. She said, Tiffany, you fulfilled your marital vows, which said till death do us part. You've honored your covenant with God and with Dwight and your marriage. And when the time is right, you are free biblically to move forward. And so, um, you know, my prayer from the beginning has just been that the Lord would bring the right person at the right time, that he would prepare not only my heart, but my children's heart. I mean, it'll just have to be such a God thing. And, and it, and I know that the Lord, I mean, he has faithfully carried us. He's not going to leave us in that area. He will, he will ordain that. And I know it'll be very evident. And so I'm trusting him in that. And it's a conversation that I've had with mainly my two older kids because, um, you know, just their age and their ability, the little ones have said things. I mean, I've even seen the desire in them. And so, um, yeah, when the time is right and when the Lord says and, and brings in that person, I definitely um, want that and anticipate. And I'm believing for that. I mean, it's truly something that I've had to surrender to the Lord. Um, you know, I, I believe God made us for companionship. He made us to need that in someone else. And so when the time is right and God, God says, go, um, my hope and heart is to be ready. And that's, you know, honestly been a part of this healing process is that I want to be in a position that when God does give me the green light um, to move forward, that I'm in a healthy place and that I can bring to the table what that person needs. Because yes, me and my children are going to have many needs. We have a story, we have a foundation that's already built, but that person will also have things that they need and want. And so I want us to be in a healthy place that we're a blessing as much as that person is a blessing to us, if that makes sense. It's beautiful that you complement and enhance and empower one another's lives. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. a beautiful union. And Britt and I get to celebrate with you when that man shows up. I love, I love knowing that God is working on that person's heart. And what has it been like for you? Have you expressed that desire to, as God's restored that in you and in the hearts of your precious children, are there people close to you um, that you've expressed that to? What's, mm -hmm. What has their response been like to you? Because they, I'm sure if they're close to you, they, they knew Dwight. Yeah. So the yeah. acceptance of that and then making peace with that. What's that mm -hmm. been like? I think most people that are truly close to me and my inner circle, not only expected, but desired that. Um, there have been, you know, comments of like, oh, well, you're, you're not going to get married. But I feel like those were more outskirt comments of people that just kind of saw us from afar. Um, but those that have done life with us, I mean, his his own family, I mean, they're so amazing. I'll, I'll never forget his sister telling me, she was like, you're going to get married again. And when you do, I'll love that person. And I'll, you know, she's like, she basically just gave me the permission. And I remember it was very early. And I said, thank you so much. That is not even remotely on my radar. But I knew it was her way of just saying, we don't expect you to stay in this place. And so I know that when that time comes, I mean, it's going to be something that we process and walk through. And there's going to be emotions that come with that from, you know, obviously different people who had different connections with Dwight, but certainly the people that have been with me and, and seen me walk through this, they know the challenges, they know the, the loneliness that singleness can bring and single parentness can bring. And 
I know that they would want that. And, and you know, in losing Dwight, one thing that I've said from the beginning is I lost my covering, you know, the protector, the provider that um, that he brought to the to the family. And so I, I believe it's a natural desire for us women to want that and desire that. But yeah, I feel like people are pretty receptive. I, I felt the Lord tell me in the beginning, you know, focus on, on him, like a full year to grieve him, to put everything into that like don't even tuck that away in your heart and then in a year we'll revisit and now here I am 17 months and it's still tucked away there and when when God says to pull it out you know I will but uh, it's a desire that's there but it's not something that I'm personally pursuing I really believe God's just gonna make it all come into fruition when the time is right. Thank you for sharing with us. That's so beautiful. I love it. I just love that. And Tiffany, we are so grateful for the time that we've had with you. Britt, is there anything else that you want to ask Tiffany before we jump off today? No, I just want to thank you. It takes a lot of vulnerability and openness for the hard parts of our story. And I think just hearing your story, I know I'm encouraged uh, to to have strength in the Lord to, to stand firm and to not waver in my faith. And I know Juliet is too. So just thank you so much for your vulnerability and your openness to share with us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was such an honor just to share our story and what the Lord's doing in it. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much again for being with us and sharing your story of resilience. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Roundtable today with Britt and I. And with Tiffany, we hope that you gain some joy and clarity and peace and laughter along the way. We hope this is the best part of your day. Until next time, friend. Cheers. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.